This is Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made for This podcast. Thank you to Rothy's for supporting our show. Rothy's comfortable, washable, and sustainable shoes and bags make getting dressed easy. Head to rothys.com slash made for this to find your new favorites today. Guys, I have a huge announcement coming. You're going to love it. And we're actually going to make it to you first. So please, please do not miss it. You're going to want to subscribe to the podcast if you have not. And number two, you want to subscribe to my email list because there actually is going to be a group of people that are going to get something really fun in this moment. So you don't want to miss it. I can't tell you much else. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So right now, go to JennyAllen.com, J-E-N-N-I-E, Allen, A-L-L-E-N.com, and give us your email and join our email list. If you're not a part of that, guys, you're missing all kinds of awesome free stuff and you want to go hang out there. And then two, subscribe to the podcast. Do not miss an episode. It's coming up. It's the best announcement. I'm so excited. And I'll give you a hint. This episode is a little teaser for what I'm going to announce. That's all I'll say. But here we go. You ready? We're talking about friendship. And guys, this is a little bit of a mashup. This is my top advice I would give for making friendships. We all need this. We're coming out of quarantine. We need our people. Let's go. When you go to a relationship and you are looking for that person to meet a need, to solve a problem, to fulfill you in some way, you are starting a friendship at its end. It will become destructive. It will end. That friendship will not make it because it is the wrong goal. It is the wrong focus. And so what I consistently hear and what I've seen in my own life is when I go to people to solve a problem that God is meant to solve, then what inevitably happens is they disappoint me. 100% of the time they disappoint me. And actually it's, it's interesting. I would say that when that happens, that is a mercy of God because he's showing you that no other thing but himself can fulfill you. And so I've learned to, to see disappointments in relationships as reminders that God is enough for me. And that has been a shift for me. So I consistently, being in the relationships I'm in in my family, being in the relationships I am in work, being in the relationships I am in my church community that they're pretty deep, I have community. My biggest issue with community is usually that I hurt someone or that they hurt me. It is a regular storyline. <laughs> I mean, weekly. The conflict has to be resolved in my life. And it's because that's just part of healthy community. But friendships can handle that when peace and your welfare are not at the center of that relationship. When God is at the center of that relationship, conflict can be managed. People can disappoint you. You can hurt other people. Forgiveness can be issued because we're not looking for our hope, our identity, our purpose in that other person. You've got to build a culture with your friendship. Now you're thinking to yourself, oh gosh, how can I shift that with my friends? They are constantly gossiping. How would I shift it? I believe you've got to sit down and build ground rules. The healthiest cultures, the healthiest friendships I've been in always have ground rules. You've got to have something to work with that you know this is not going in the right direction. I think about Romans 8. One road leads to sin and death. One road leads to life and peace. How do we stay on the road to life and peace? And, and so when it comes to gossip, I literally will build a no 
it, it literally could get someone fired at If Gathering. We care about it so much. I mean, it is one of our highest values that we would assume the best about each other and protect each other. It's one of the highest values in our family. When when I'm listening to one of my kids speak ill of one of my other kids, I shut it down every time because I never want a culture to feel unsafe. Because if a culture feels unsafe, then you have no place to thrive, no place to share your issues, your your weaknesses, your failures. You have no place to to actually be broken. Brokenness has to be accepted somewhere in your life or you'll never be healthy. So how do you do this? I mean, I'm just such a believer in awkward conversations. I think you have to have them. If you want good friends, you have to sit down and have an awkward conversation. So sit your friends down and say, hey guys, we have been gossiping. We got to stop. Like, I don't feel safe with you. I don't think you all feel safe with me. Like, let's hold each other accountable to this. Now, some of you are listening to this and you're in high school and you're thinking, if I do that, my friends are going to disown me. You know what? Better that than to feel like you don't have real friends, than to feel like you don't have a safe place. So in this passage, and you're looking at the first generation of the church, you're already seeing this tendency to consider love to be love like the world. And what Paul wants to do is he wants to say, no, love is a completely different foreign concept to the world. It's so different that God became man to show us the love of God and that it would be so different than what everyone was expecting because instead of showing his importance, he deferred his importance for our good. And so when you think about friendship and you think about the things you're aching for in a friend, and then you think about the ways that you're just longing to have people love you, you're longing and we're built to be loved like this. This is how you were built to be loved because God built you for his love and his love is this complete. It's that sacrificial. And so when we go into relationships and everyone is coming to the table and they're thinking of themselves, everything breaks down and it should because it's not how it was designed to be. And Paul desperately wanted this for the Philippians. He wanted this for two reasons. One, he knew that they could never be healthy. They could never run hard together if they didn't love each other in this way. And two, he knew that the world would never see the love of God through them unless they got this right, that this had to be the way that they would love each other. And Paul says in verse two, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, one mind as Christendom, for us to be one mind, single-minded, single-minded for the glory of God and the good of people. That is what we are to exist for. That single-mindedness should overtake every part of our lives. And yet we know that hasn't been the case. That isn't the case largely. And what is the obstacle to that? I believe the enemy like is strategic and he brings different forms of attack. And the specific form of attack I see against our same mind is competition. That among our people, we are dividing and competing instead of cheering for each other and encouraging. This is where everything could shift in the way that the world sees how we love each other is if we would go from dividing and competing to celebrating and encouraging. And this is what Paul did. And it's not like he agreed with everything everyone else was doing. He was quick to call things out when they were wrong, but he was quick to also express the love of God for those people and to remember that he is not fighting flesh and blood. And Ephesians, when he talks really specifically about the enemy, 
he says this about the enemy. He says, hey, we don't war against flesh and blood. We war against cosmic forces and principalities. This is what we're warring against. And, and it's so good to remember this. I remember once I, in our church, I was in a pretty big disagreement with someone else. And I felt misunderstood and she felt misunderstood. And we sat down to talk about it. And gosh, I'll tell you what, after that, I mean, it was poor conflict resolution because by the end of it, I was actually more mad than when I sat down. <laughs> And I walked away and I just, I didn't even know how to resolve this conflict. I don't know if you've ever been in conflict like that, that even though you're trying, even though you're sitting down and going through the steps of resolution, it feels like I don't know how to resolve this. And I read Ephesians 6 and I realized, oh my gosh, this isn't about Heather. This is about one, my own issues. And two, there's an enemy trying to divide us. There's an enemy that is warring against us. And that's my enemy. And that's her enemy. It's not Heather. It's this enemy that is against both of us. It's it's an enemy to divide us, to distract us, to separate us from being most effective. You know, if every believer on earth was united and of one mind on mission together, that is unbelievably dangerous. We would see revival in every city and every country. There would be more kingdom work than we could possibly imagine. So of course, the most effective way for the enemy to stop the work of God on earth is to have us devour each other instead of celebrate each other and work together. And and this is why I care about this so much. It's It's not just for our own happiness. It's not just so that we can have friends and like know who to go to dinner with when we're feeling lonely. It's it's so that we can be effective for eternity. It's so that people will come to know Christ because of our love, that our love would speak so boldly and clearly of Jesus that it would be contagious. Paul loves talking about what we talk about. In Ephesians 4, he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. There's a fine line between being real and complaining and grumbling. That's why we need people that will notice it in us when we've just become someone who is focused on everything that's wrong with our lives. And Paul is also going to give us the answer. He's going to say that the way that we shine as lights in the world, that we don't grumble and complain is to hold fast to the word of life. And we do this because of a reason, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I ran my race and that I didn't labor in vain. And so there is a purpose to our lives and we're detracting from it when we are full of complaining, grumbling. And really the reason why is because what Paul knows is that someone that actually believes all this, that doesn't think this is myth, that actually believes in the word of God and that this is all headed to heaven, Someone can do uncomfortable things for a season without telling everybody about it. We can go through something difficult for a season. Now, some of you, that season, like my best friend, Sarah, who is still recovering from a stroke that was five years ago, some of you, that difficulty is long and hard. But my friend, Sarah, if she could talk, would tell you that complaining and grumbling would have destroyed her life. That she had to choose, even though she couldn't speak, even though she had to relearn to walk and move and eat, and even though she has had to watch other people take care of her kids for years, she knew that if she continues to focus on everything that's wrong in her life, she will die from the pain of it. But she also knew that if she would see the good and and all that God was giving back to her and that she would focus on her kids and what she could give them, and she would focus on the opportunity she had because of the difficult things in her life, 
then she would have joy and peace. And I watch someone who has lost nearly everything still not complain and not grumble. And she has her own way of doing it, she'd tell you. And I, I know it well. <laughs> it's not like she needed words to grumble and complain. We all can complain and grumble without words. But she has found hope and joy in choosing to focus on what is good. And gosh, we can do that for each other. Joy is contagious. So is disunity and complaining and grumbling. So how do we practically live this out? I say that these conversations are awkward, but I never have called them annoying. And I, and I think there's a fine line between having an awkward conversation and being annoying and constantly correcting people. It's something we do in our immaturity when we're just kind of starting out as a believer and, and feeling our own conviction. We start to lay it on everybody else. What I would do with this one is rather than try to control everybody else's complaining, grumbling, work on your own. Trust that it will be contagious if you give life-giving words. The other thing that I've noticed works so well is just shifting conversations. When something is going down a track, you can shift into focusing on something more positive. So, you know, we do this with our kids all the time. Hey, let's do it with each other. It works. Redirection. If you're headed down into a conversation that is going to produce both complaining and grumbling in you and complaining and grumbling in other people, redirect the conversation into something that is helpful and more hopeful. If you feel stuck in complaining and grumbling, I would... I think of my friend Ann Voskamp and how much it ministered to all of us, her her book, 1,000 Gifts, and it was because it produced this in us. It was, it was a shift in what we focus on, and I would just keep a gratitude journal. I would just write down every day something or 10 things that you're thankful for and start to notice in your life how much is right, how much is good, how much God has blessed you with, and it's a lot harder to complain and grumble when that's what you see every day, what God has done that is so good. Thank you to Rothy's for supporting our show. So Chloe, they sent us shoes and they were awesome. I love them. They are comfortable and you can throw them in the washing machine, which is good for me because I always ruin shoes. And so I think literally I will have these shoes forever. That's right, Jenny. It's 2021 and nobody has time for uncomfortable shoes anymore. What makes Rothy's so great? Their unique seamless design is insanely comfortable the moment you put them on. Rothy's just recently launched a new line of men's shoes that are intentionally designed. They're durable, washable, and they've been put through rigorous testing to make sure that they have the perfect fit wash after wash. I mean, guys, Rothy's is in the news everywhere as being one of the most comfortable and cute pair of flats that you'll never get tired of wearing. I have loved the flexibility that my Rothy's shoes provide because you can throw them in the washing machine. I mean, how many pairs of shoes can you do that with? So Rothy's is doing something special for us. That's right. They gave us a chance to share this super rare opportunity with our listeners for a limited time. Through August 1st, 2021, you can get $20 off your first purchase of $100 or more at rothys.com slash made for this. That's rothys.com slash made for this. Trust us, you don't want to miss this. Head to rothys.com slash made for this to find your new favorite shoes today. We love to fix each other's problems with as fast a method as we can. First Corinthians 2 talks about this. Paul's talking about here. He says, hey, there's a lot of human wisdom, but it is completely different than supernatural, spiritual life change that God wants to bring in our lives. 
Now, I believe this too. All truth is from God. If it is true, then it is from God. So there is something useful and helpful about counseling. There's something useful and helpful about medicine. For goodness sakes, I love essential oils. I'm not dogging any of it. I'm just saying when we go to spiritual people, about spiritual problems and we don't give spiritual answers, we're missing the best part. It's that those things are incomplete. They're self-help. And you know, it's so funny, people are so hard on self-help. And in fact, I got a lot of encouragement about this podcast being biblical and that I'm looking at scripture and it not being self-help. But but there is some truth in self-help. Self-help is helpful or, or it wouldn't sell books. It wouldn't cause good. But I'll just say this, it's very limited. It's only going to help you so far. It might solve a problem for a week or a month, but it won't solve the biggest problems of our lives and the biggest problems of our souls. And I think most of you are here and you're still listening because you have big problems, because you have something that you want to shift. You want, you maybe you stumbled across this and you're like, I want to be unstuck. These are bigger issues than essential oils can solve, you know? And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at what does it look like to believe supernatural things, spiritual truths that go into our souls, not just solve our physical ailments, not just solve our emotional issues, but actually go into us and solve everything that God built within us. The awesome part about that is you get off the hook. Like I realized, and I think actually everybody loved it when they started, when they shifted and started doing this in Bible study, everybody was relieved because we realized that, you know what, our answers can only go so far. Pointing people to scripture and to God is actually really helpful. It requires faith. It requires believing that God is the answer to our problems. And it shifts from a natural answer to a supernatural answer. And that one's scarier to give and harder to receive because we're a little bit scared. It's kind of like, I'm going to put my foot on this water like Peter, and I'm going to trust that you're going to provide, and then I'm not going to sink. And then when you do, when you see him provide, it's like, yes, but there's no way to know that he will provide until you step, until you're on the water. And so pushing people to God is pushing them to faith and pushing them to believe that God can and we'll move into the places that we're so stuck. And gosh, I mean, that's what we want for people. We want people to be spiritually free. We want to be around people that are determined to grow and become more like Christ. And so I had to let a lot of other things go where we may not have the exact same worldview on everything. And we may not handle our kids in the exact same ways. And we may have, you know, different freedoms in different places and different rules in different places in our lives. But there's grace and there's a pursuit of God that is so powerful for me to be around, that I love God more because of them. I'll tell you this, I had to decide after those six months, we waited, and then we just had to choose. Like, we just had to say, you know what, we don't know everything about these people. I don't know if it's safe to bring our finances to them. But we just need to jump in and we're going to have to pick some friends and choose them, even if it's imperfect, even if it has conflict with it, which it will, we got to jump in. And it's just been fun and hard and messy. And and yet I see so much fruit from it. Let me say this. You're going to be exactly as close as you are vulnerable enough to share. Like you have to be the one that goes first. I hate saying that because, you know, hopefully you're listening to this with a whole group of people and you all can go first, but likely you're listening to this and you're thinking, I've got to go first. You have to go first. You have to go first. You have to gather some people and be like, guys, I need community in my life. I cannot do it alone anymore. And I'm going to be brave here. And I'm going to tell you some things about myself. It's the beginning of great healthy community. And usually what happens with healthy people is they'll nod and then they'll tell you, okay, here's what I'm struggling with. It's scary. It's vulnerable, but it is worth it. Now, healthy friendships, they are going to have conflict. I want to be so clear about that. You cannot write somebody off 
because it's difficult. In fact, I tell my kids, if you have not had conflict with somebody, you're probably not good friends yet. That is going to be part of it. So we can't write people off at the same time. Paul wasn't afraid. Like earlier in the chapter, in chapter three, he says, look out for evildoers. He's, he's not afraid to say there are unhealthy people and you need to guard yourself from them. And they are in it for your destruction. And their gods are their belly, like verse 19 says. And their glory is in their shame. And I think about this, that they are just so comfortable with their sin. Like they don't need to change anything. They don't want to be messed with. If that's the people you're running with, I can promise you, you are going to get complacent fast because our flesh loves to not be bothered about its sin. So if you have friends that glory in their shame, that just, hey, it's okay, live and let live, <laughs> that is not going to produce growth in you. If our goal is to become more and more like Christ as we age, which we all know the people that become less and less like Christ as they age, you know, we don't want to be the, <laughs> the bitter old women that are cranky and angry at the world. You know, we, we typically go one of two directions as we age. And so if we want to be those that, that get more holy, that get less selfish, that love the mission of God even more and more, the older we get, we've got to have people around us that do not glory in their sin, that they hate it, that they're fighting it, and we would fight it together. realize that different friendships will serve different purposes in different seasons in our life. There's a place for conflict resolution. There's a place for working and sticking with the people that God has given you to do life with and not just running because it gets difficult. I think we're tempted to do that, that when a relationship gets hard, we're out. And, and this is not at all what Christian community is about. Like you are going to have fights. You're going to have disagreements. And that actually should serve to bring you closer. That having Great conflict is a part of great relationships. But Paul knows that reconciliation is important to display God to this world. So how do we reconcile and how do we move forward? One is we keep short accounts. Because our hope is heaven, because our citizenship is heaven, because our hope is God and our relationship is ultimately satisfied in God, then we can let people be people and we can let them disappoint us, let them hurt us, and we can let that slide. We can keep short accounts and let those things, you know, roll off our back. So many hurts are truly just misunderstandings. So many times I've thought someone meant something and I've read into it and I've built an entire case against myself from that person that they must be feeling, that they must be thinking. And all of a sudden we have this huge war and the other person doesn't even know it. The other person looked at me sideways because they were hungry. I mean, you, we can build entire wars between each other and it's all make-believe, it's pretend. So we need to be careful to make sure that if we're gonna deal with an offense, which I believe there's a time for that, that it's a real offense. However, if you notice something, and this is my rule on it, Paul knows and understands there's gonna be conflict and there's gonna be times that we get angry. And he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. This is in Ephesians 4, and give no opportunity to the devil. So this is my rule on when to address something. I tell my team this in the offices, if something lingers, you know, don't don't be quick to run in somebody's office and try to make something right. Because a lot of times that's actually our own selfish ambition just to put our conscience at, at peace or just to not feel uncomfortable. Sometimes it's the less selfish thing to give something space and time to walk away from it, to sleep on it a few nights. And if if you notice you can't let that thing go, then go to that person and say, you know what, something you said the other day, maybe I misunderstood you, but it really hasn't, I haven't been able to shake it. 
What did you mean by this? And give them a chance. Assume the best. Assume they didn't mean something ill. Or perhaps, and many times, that other person has some hurt that they've held on to and they haven't brought to you. But give them grace to bring it to you at that time. Yeah, ideally, they probably should have brought it to you first. We all should. We should be accountable to when we can't let something go to bring that anger to someone else and and to work it out and not to let it take root and a root of bitterness to rise up in us. But let's give people grace. Maybe they've been too busy. Maybe they, they haven't even noticed or known exactly how to bring it to us. So my rule is when you've given it a few nights sleep and you can't shake it, ask to sit down with that person, but approach them in a lot of grace and just be like, let me tell you what I experienced. Let me tell you what that made me feel. And then here's the other thing. When people come to us with those things, we'd be so quick to apologize. I can't tell you how many times people have brought me something that I didn't even mean. Like there was no ill intention in me. There was no purposeful hurt. I did not even realize I said it or did it, but that doesn't matter. The bottom line is they felt hurt and they felt hurt by me. And so I take accountability for hurting them, even if I didn't mean to. And so we apologize and we say, what can I do? These are my favorite two lines. I'm so, well, they're my least favorite lines, but they work. I'm so sorry. And what can I do to make that right? And you don't really need to say a lot else (laughs) because most of the time, the more we say, then we move into defending ourselves. And I've learned that there is very little good done in defending myself, even if it was right, even if they misunderstood something. It really goes nowhere. And and Jesus's way is, you see David do this constantly. King David never defended his own name. He held back from people from even defending his own name. And he was comfortable being misunderstood. He was comfortable with people thinking ill of him, or I doubt he was comfortable with it, but he let it happen because he knew that God would defend what he needed to defend. God is the defender of our names. We do not have to go right every wrong. And then when that's the case, you get to live very difficult to be offended. Like I, I literally feel like people are all the time will be like, I'm so sorry, but da, da, da. I was like, you really don't have to apologize to me. Like it is very difficult to offend me. I mean, because I just, I'm moving through life expecting to be offended, expecting to be hurt and disappointed and trusting God to be my significance. So when I get hurt, I can kind of let it go most of the time. Now, there are plenty of times that I've had to sit down and say that really hurt me and let's work through this. But let's be those that are not quick to be angered. Well, I've got some exciting, exciting news today. If Lead is coming up. You guys do not want to miss this. It is August 7th. You are going to absolutely love the content. It is so good. We have so many friends joining us, Annie Downs and Tony Collier and I are going to host. And if you are a leader who feels like the world is just piling on you right now and you don't know how to see forward, we're going to deal with every single issue that you're facing. I mean, the topics are endless. We've got breakouts and incredible speakers the day of. So you're going to love it all. Please, please, please go sign up iflead2021.com. And those of you who think to yourself, you know what? I'm not really a leader. I promise you, you are leading something. And the issues we're going to talk about are issues that every single person faces every day. So come on, be a part, sign up today, and you are going to love it.